0: Let me invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, please. 1 Peter chapter 5 this evening. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4. So this is message 13 in a series that I began somewhere in the spring and Lord willing will finish sometime uh, before the end of the year. Do you realize the last day of this year is going to be 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3? Right, 12, 31, 23. Just, that's what we'll finish by then, Lord willing. One, two, three, one, two, three. Okay, some of you will catch on later. So, 13 benchmarks of discipleship. Uh, we have covered trusting, belonging, growing. All right, how do we know if we're doing what God wants us to do in discipling people? There would be evidence that they are trusting in Christ, that they have uh, confessed a new Lord in Jesus Christ, they have received new life from him, and therefore they have a new love for him and his people, trusting, belonging. They identify with Christ through baptism, they identify with his people, Christ's people, through membership. And identify with Christ's mission by participating in the work that Jesus has given us to do. Growing, that God has given us a responsibility to grow up spiritually, that it's something that we are to be active in, not passive. We're supposed to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling, growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the expectation is that a disciple is someone who's a follower of Christ. They're a learner, a student of Christ. So they would be actively learning what it means to follow Christ. Remember Jesus said in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Right. It's, so it's not just fill up the notebook with what I commanded you. It's teaching them to observe or do it. So there's an active... Commitment to the responsibility to grow the resources that God has provided for us that bring His grace to us are His Word, His uh, prayer, and His people—the gifts that He's bestowed. So we we access those resources and and are recognizing that. And even as we talked about this morning. Uh, Perhaps the great impediment to growth is our struggle with sin, so we are actually embracing a life of continual renewal and repentance, that we are replacing the marks of the old life with the characteristics of the new life in Christ, Ephesians 4, and 24, and that the center of that is the renewal of the spirit of our mind, because we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then uh, we moved on to serving, which is the section we're in right now. And we've looked at two thirds of it. The first was the source of our service is actually uh, the love of Christ. We are to love one another like He loved us. And so uh, in the the point that I'm trying to emphasize here is that it can be easy to become busy for Jesus. And potentially get burned out doing that. And, and the reality of it is we're supposed to be growing in Christ, which is producing an awareness of His love for us. And His love for us is being poured out in our hearts and it overflows into service. Right. And that's, that was a text we look at in Hebrews chapter six and verse 10 where he says, God is not unjust so as to forget your love toward his name in having ministered to the saints and still ministering. So their ministry or service to other people was the flowing out of their love for God. Because if you love God truly, you will actually love his children and it will result in service for the Lord by serving his family. Right? And I think all of us just know on a human plane, when something does something very good for our children, right, it captures the heart of the parent because of how much you care about your children. When someone shows their love for you by caring for your children, right, that's the same pattern as talking about. You show your love for God by serving those who matter so much to God. I mean, He sacrificed his son for them. I mean, he loves them to the greatest extent possible. So you ought to have their best interest in your heart like Jesus did. Right? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the source from which service comes. The substance of that service is the use of the gifts that God's given to us, that each of us have been equipped by God for the purpose of ministry. To serve Him, and and so there's, uh, I mean, in reality. There's a, a million things we can do for serving Christ, and I would not diminish any of them. Right? We should be, to use the language of Second Thessalonians, uh, first, yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter three. We should be engaged in good deeds to meet pressing needs. So, so you can't limit service to a little box that's quite comfortable for you and doing exactly what you want to do. Right. When you see a pressing need, you should be engaged in good deeds to meet that need. But at the wheelhouse center of our service should be the recognition that the risen Lord has given to you something that he wants you to use for him. That's why it's called a stewardship. All right. We're going to look at the verse right after this one, but look at first Peter chapter four and verse 10 because this is what we were focusing on last time, a couple of weeks ago, Philippians, 1 Peter 4, 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So if I take this text and I set it alongside of Ephesians chapter four, where it says that when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to his people And, and those gifts are, are viewed as a body with proper parts functioning as they ought to. This text talks about it as a stewardship. Right. So, so Christ has entrusted to you some resource that's to be used for his glory and his purposes. So again, you see a need, you meet that need, grab a towel, like Jesus, wash feet, whatever it is, I'm not in any way diminishing it. The worst thing that could happen in a church is for people to go, all right, I've got my little box in which I serve and anything outside of that box, I don't do. What I'm saying though is there is something, right, that's at the center of what Jesus has entrusted to you. And again, I'll just sort of personalize it. And as I like to say, so work with me, use your imagination a little bit, all right? So let's suppose I have a gift of teaching, all right? So I have a stewardship to do that. But that doesn't mean that's all I ever do to serve, right? If there's a pressing need, I should try to meet that need. But at the end of the day, if I'm convinced, and apparently the congregation was back on January 4th, 1989, when you voted to call me to be the pastor teacher, that I have a gift of teaching, then certainly that has to be at the center of it, right? I can't run around doing all the other stuff and neglect the thing that's been entrusted to me to do. It's not an either or, it's a both. And Right, and so what I'm saying is, God's given you something to do for Him. So, so in the midst of your serving, like Christ served and loving God's people, like Christ loved, something will begin to emerge as the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. Right, that's that's what the pattern seems clearly to be in the. New Testament, because there's actually never anything said in the New Testament about how you find out what your gift is. Because that's what I, you've got something and you go, okay, so give me like a, a 20 question test. I can take that and find out what my gift is. There's nothing like that. It's actually as you are serving God's people out of your love for God's name, Because, and we're going to get to this, because those gifts were given for the common good, for the edification of the body, for service, all of a sudden it will start to be evident what the Spirit of God has equipped you to do. Because his hand will be upon it. Blessing will flow from it by the work of the Spirit. And that leads me to the third part here. Which is, uh, so if you're not a fan of alliteration, tough, right? So source, right? Source is the love of Christ. The substance is the gifts. The strength of it, the strength of our service is actually the work of the Spirit. right? That's what makes it effective. The Spirit of God is at work through the use of these gifts. So look at verse eleven, and I'm going to take, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be a little compressed because we're coming to the table. So I'll mention verses and encourage you to look them up. We're going to go to one other passage, but I want us to start here in verse eleven. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So so you can see in the middle of the verse why I would say the strength comes from God. Whoever serves is to do so as one serving by the strength which God supplies. So you're doing it in a power which is sourced in God, not yourself. All right. So you're serving by the strength that God supplies. I would suggest to you that the first part of the verse, whoever speaks is to do so one who, as one who is speaking the utterances of God, that I, and, and I'm, here's where you're just going to have to, you can track the verses down, right? But let me just draw, let me draw a couple connections. Right, So here's a person who stands up to speak on behalf of God as to do it, the utterances of God. Here's a verse you should hear sort of echo behind that. Ephesians chapter six, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, pray for me. And he says that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I may speak the mystery of the gospel with boldness. So Paul has them praying that God will give him utterance and boldness. And Paul is asking them to pray in a way that is exactly like what happened in Acts chapter 4 when they faced persecution and they gathered together and had a prayer meeting and asked God to work. And it says, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word with boldness. Right. So when he says here, speak it as the very utterances of God, I think he's saying actually something pretty parallel to serve in the strength that God supplies. He's just actually tailoring it to a a verbal kind of gift. Right. Speak with the help of God. Serve in the strength of God. Because if they're going to be effective, whether speaking or serving, it's going, to be because, it's going to be because God is using it. God is energizing it. And that leads us to the next text. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I did a, um, we spent a few weeks in 1 Corinthians 12, Uh about a year ago, so I'm going to remind us, because I know you can remember everything I said over those three or four weeks, but by way of reminder, specifically about gifts, look at verses, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 7 and 11. But to each one was given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. That word works there uh, really has the idea of provides the energy for these things. He empowers these things. All right, So here's, here's Paul writing to the church of Corinth and saying, each of you, right? Because notice that universal nature of it. Verse seven, to each one is given. And then verse 11, that, that, uh, it is to each one individually, just as he wills. Right? So everyone who's in Christ, everyone who belongs to Christ has received the gift of the Spirit and the Spirit brings these gifts to everyone who's in Christ, and he has given them to accomplish the common good. He is working these things in each individual according to his will. All right, so the gifts must be used in the power that the Spirit supplies. That's It's God at work through the Spirit to accomplish them. And, and so the strength of service is not our strength, but the work of God accomplishing these things, carrying them out for us, All right? And again, uh, there's probably a way in which, in, um, and this is a challenge, right? So you've, you ever had a conversation with your child and you're saying something and they're looking at you like, oh yeah, you know, so tell me I, something i don't know, but they're not really embracing what you're saying. They're just like, yeah, whatever, right? Here's the danger as a preacher. I just said something that probably anybody who's familiar with the idea of gifts would be go, yeah, well, like, yeah, right. But but here's the question Do we actually live like we are utterly and completely dependent on the Spirit to make our gift effective? Or do we go, oh yeah, I got a gift, and we just get off and do it? And never have a conscious sense that unless the Lord is at work empowering and energizing the use of this gift it will not produce what it is supposed to produce, right? Because there's a difference between being able to say, well, yeah, I know that, and actually having that grip you as a controlling principle of your life. That what God has given you to do can only be done in the strength that he supplies. It can't be done... In our own strength. And so let me just suggest three quick implications of that, and then I'll do a couple concluding comments. All right. The first is that that we need to be responsible with the use of the gifts, therefore, active in it. And I've said this before, so I'm just going to remind you of again two verses, because our tendency sometimes is because, because this is outside the realm of our normal way of thinking. Right, we can sometimes think the spiritual gifts just sort of operate up here like a, like a magic charm or something. Like if I'm, you know, I, I've got a gift of teaching, so all I have to do is just prepare a message or prepare a lesson and stand up and speak, and something will happen. Right, and 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 that would be sort of like an autopilot, passive approach to it. When in fact uh Paul says to Timothy in First Timothy four fourteen, do not neglect the gift that is in you. So it's possible that he actually actually could neglect the spiritual gift he's given. And he says in second Timothy chapter one, verse six, to stir up the gift that is in you. Right? The word that's used there, uh probably the the picture for you would be like if you're sitting around a uh uh, a campfire, and the flames are gone, and, and it's embers that are there, and you sort of stir it up to flame again? That's the picture of the word that Paul uses there. So he says, fan, sort of fan the flame of the gift that you've been given. So that requires active attention to the use of our gifts, not passive Like, I've got my gift in my pocket, and so it just sort of sends out a secret silent beam when I'm moving around. But that I'm active and responsible for the use of it. Clearly, since we are dependent on the Spirit's help, that puts us in a position for what? Prayer. Right, And again, I don't have time to unpack it all, but... One of the interesting parallels in the gospel when you have Jesus teaching on prayer and talks about the Father giving good gifts to his children, right? In, in Matthew, right? It's just good gifts to those who ask. In Luke, it is, so your Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Okay? Luke's the author of Luke. What is he also the author of? The book of Acts. You know how the end of the book of Luke finishes? Jesus says, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. When the Father will give you the promise of the Spirit. You know where the book of Acts opens up? They are all in prayer, seeking the Lord. And God pours out his power through the Spirit and that's not just like a one time thing cuz i just quoted Acts 4 so the spirit's already been given and they're praying for the father to stretch forth his hand the hand of christ and and it's the work of the spirit in answer to prayer right now now i don't think and this is the challenge that we r- wrestle with right i mean but it's just the problem of our limitation right so if i if we pray tonight god would you please come and meet with us there would be Probably some theological basis for us to nitpick that because what is God? He's omnipresent, right? You've never been anywhere that God isn't. So when you ask him to show up, you gotta go, okay, what's going on? Well, the reason that kind of language is there because it's in the scripture and Isaiah says, oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Right? So so clearly the Bible would talk about in ways that we can appreciate God's presence as being his action among us. Right? And so when we talk about the Spirit, receiving the Spirit, there is an aspect of that which is if we're talking salvation, we've already been given the Spirit. So when the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, it's like, well, wait a minute. Did did I have a leak somewhere and and I lost part of him? No, it's actually a a way of describing the Spirit's control in our lives. That that he is, in fact, if I could borrow the image from Acts, right? Filling the sails, right? Or like in the gospel, it says they were filled filled with anger. No one pulled their hat open and poured anger in. It meant they were controlled by it. It it was actually the thing that was animating and motivating them. And when we hear about the Spirit in that way, that's what we're talking about. Because it's possible for me to have the Spirit dwelling within and actually be quenching the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And that's said in the context of gifts, despise not prophesying. Right? So it's possible for me not to be operating in a clear and conscious sense of dependence and my need for the Spirit's help. So when, when Jesus encourages us to pray for the good gift of the Spirit's work in us, I don't see any reason for us to go, well, I would never pray for the Spirit to come like that. As if, you know, he showed up on Pentecost and someday, you know, we'll get to heaven in between, then we're on our own. No, the Spirit, the the gifts you see in this text, the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. The gifts are the work of the Spirit. So we should be saying, I am so dependent on your ministry that I'm pleading with you to make it effective today, that you would use me for your glory and the good of your people. And that would lead me to suggest even the text we looked at this morning, Galatians 5, walk in spirit, be led by the spirit, keep in step with the spirit that some element of that is going to flow into our service. Just think about the fruit of the spirit. How many how, how many elements of the fruit of the spirit can happen in isolation? Almost every one of them are manifested in relationship. Right? In responses to people around you in in potential reactions to people around you. So the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, even in terms of our sanctification, is actually moving us into the love of Christ, because think about the context, 5.13, Pastor Jacob preached on, instead of using our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, we should by love serve one another. You walk through that, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, the works of the flesh through the Spirit. Then it says, if you belong to Christ, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, walk in the spirit, and then it comes right back to bite and devour. Everything about that passage is wrapped up inside of the relationships of the body of Christ. So the fruit of the spirit is actually not just so I can like walk around going, well, I have love, I have joy, I have peace. It's actually the display of the Spirit's work in our lives, and it's done in the context of the relationships. So so when I face a potential circumstance in my life where the flesh might want to produce its works, but the Spirit is fighting against that to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life, And that fruit of the Spirit would mean I'm serving somebody by love, 5.13, rather than biting and devouring them, like 5.26 talks about. Then it means a part of this dynamic of the Spirit's power in service is me being submissive to him, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Right, That there is, in fact, the work of the head of the body through the Spirit to shape my responses in such a way that I am serving people by love. So I need to be submissive, right? So active, prayerful, submissive, responsive to the Spirit's work. Last thing about this, then we'll transition to the table, all right? These are all mile markers, so you know we're actually making progress here. This is technically point four if you're really trying to take notes on it, all right? Here's the thing I would encourage us is to focus on the effect, not the experience. And this is where I think it gets wrong, right? So we talk about gifts, talk about the Spirit, and and we start to think, so So what's that experience like, all right? And And I think that's the wrong way based on what the Scriptures say. Right. The gifts are given. This is probably the third time I said this tonight for the common good. That's an effect. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, the gifts are for the purpose of edification. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, they're for service. Right. So, so instead of me, like trying to figure out what the experience of using my gift is like. My gift and the power of the spirit, right? Because in, okay, and I'll tell you honestly, because experientially, it, it it's, it's, it's like a, it's gonna drive you crazy, right? I mean, there've been times when I've preached a sermon and I've thought that has to rank in like the top three worst sermons I've ever preached in my life. And I'm walking out and people are going, boy, that was really helpful to me. Because God was doing something beyond what I was doing, right? And my experience was I'd like to crawl away in my office and hide because I just feel like I just laid an egg. But God is faithful to his word and God hears and answers the prayers of his people and the spirit can work, right? The experience would not be, right? And there are times, uh, you know, when, when I felt like, hey, that one went well. And I walk around and nobody says anything, right? So you have no idea but it's not the experience that matters. It's the effect. So so was the common good advanced through this? Did the spirit use it in somebody's life? That's what matters. Were people edified? That's what matters. Were God's people served? That's what matters. So focus on the effect, not the experience, because like all things related to spirituality and the ministry of the Spirit, it is not as easily calculated as a math formula. I mean, I wish there was just like a series of little steps I could take to guarantee that the Spirit was going to use every message I preach. But it's all inside of his purposes and timing. In the normal run-of-the-mill stuff to larger things, right? In the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edward preached the same sermon in different places and saw radically different effects because that, the effects are in the hands of God, right? It's, it's, not, if, it's not like someone, you know, we love this and you know, use this formula and you can make sure you multiply your sales by 20% or whatever. Right We like to think that's the way this works, and it doesn't work like that so so it's required in stewards that a person be found faithful, right? You faithfully do what God has equipped you to do and look to see the effect that he produces, and rejoice in that. Don't let the experience ride high and low because sometimes. It's going to be uh, God testing your endurance, right? Because he's not just in heaven giving you a buzz every time you use your gift. He's wanting to see that you're faithful, that you love him, that you're going to do what he wants done not writing on your feelings, but based on what's right. And it's a matter of stewardship. So focus on the effects, not the experience. And all of this, let me tie it to what we're going to do here. And I, and I alluded to it, right? But remember what Jesus said uh, in the farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. He said, it is good for me to go. Right? So when I go, then the comforter will come. And, and a part of what we have to understand when Jesus is talking about that, it's not just, it's, don't hear that as, it's good for me to be absent, right? When Jesus is talking about going, he's talking about a very specific way of going. He's going to go through the cross. He's going to go through the tomb, and he's going to go through the resurrection and the exaltation. So, so just like he says in chapter 14, I must go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is talking about him fulfilling the will of his father. And he says, it's good for me to go because if I go, the comforter will come, the spirit will come. And that's, I already quoted, mentioned the Luke 24. He says, you wait in Jerusalem, right, for the promise of the father. Christ crucified, buried, rises again, teaches his disciples, ascends back to heaven on the day of Pentecost. The spirit is poured out on the church. Right, Peter in his first sermon, you know what he says? He says, this is the promise of the father poured out by the son. Right, It's exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. By virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection, he has received this gift of the Spirit, and he's poured it out on his people so that they might be his body and serve him. Right. So here's the connection point I want to draw to us, to the table. Right, What we're holding up in a moment is representative of the sacrifice of Christ, which established not just the basis of our salvation, but actually created this body of which we are a part, which he is the head of, and in which he is working to accomplish his purposes. And he is doing that through the ministry of the Spirit and the exercise of our gifts in the power of the Spirit. And here's what I'd say to you. Just as certain, just as certain as you can have forgiveness in Christ, you can have the work of God through his Spirit to use you for the good of his body. Because Christ purchased it. Christ is the head of the church. Christ loves his sheep. He loves his body. And he has provided exactly what we need. And he will give the help that we need. He will work through us. If we recognize this wonderful, incredible stewardship we have. And on the ground of the work of Christ, we offer it up to him as an expression of our love. We don't serve to be accepted by God. We're already accepted. We're his people. We're in the body. We serve because we love him. And we're so thankful for what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. Because I'm telling you, there is there, I, I don't want you to focus on the experience, but there is, there's nothing really like when God's at work in your life and through your life to touch, touch other people. There's, there's nothing like that. To see God do things that only God can do, don't be a spectator for that. Get on the front line. Let the power of God work through your life through the gifts that he's given to you by and with the Spirit.